0: Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is uh, Proverbs twenty-seven fourteen. Anybody know that just offhand? Anybody want to like prove that you're a Bible scholar and have that committed to memory? No? No. Okay, well, that's all right. It it reads like this. A loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. Yes. And all God's people said? Amen. 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 Let's close. All right. No. (laughs) I love that verse. It makes me laugh every time I read it. I love that God put this very practical bit of wisdom in there uh, for all of those early birds who who take it upon themselves to greet everyone with a hi ho neighbor like really early in the morning and you might mean it as a term of affection and endearment a way of showing your love but for everyone who's receiving that we're not feeling the love we're just feeling really annoyed and just wanting you to to go away and and you might think well well who does that you know who <laughs> that doesn't really happen does it but Something must have happened to inspire Solomon to write this verse, right? You know, I, I imagine there was a, a, a gardener, that, you know, this early bird gardener in the palace that liked to, you know, get up and start whistling at five in the morning, and as they're doing their gardening and singing and, and you know, saying hi to people, waking up the whole palace, and I imagine as Solomon was composing his Proverbs, you know, the Holy Spirit brings us to mind and say, hey, I just, out of love for all the night owls out there, the, the, the people that don't wake up really early, maybe we should include a verse here for them to, you know, just be able to, you know, for, to help those early birds remember, hey, not everybody's like you. You don't get up. They don't all get up as early as you. Whatever the case is, the Holy Spirit uh, inspired this verse, and I'm glad he did, um, and actually, this verse came to mind uh, one time when I was on a mission trip in Indonesia. And uh, we'd been traveling through Indonesia for a couple weeks, and we were really tired, and we came to this little village, and and we were going to stay in this little church in the village and, and sleep on the floor of that church overnight. And, you know, that's somewhat of an inconvenience, but you're on a mission trip. You're not expecting luxurious accommodation, so you just kind of get on with it. And, and, and that, that was all fine, but what we didn't know was that a part of this church, or this church had a little kitchen attached to it, and this little kitchen was the prayer room or prayer closet for somebody that was connected to the church. And the way that we found this out was that at 5 o'clock the next morning, uh, some I, was, I awoke to the sounds of pots banging, of somebody praying loudly, somebody singing really loudly these worship songs in Indonesian. And I was like, what is going on and trying to figure it out? And I realized that somebody was just in there having their quiet time um, <laughs> as they made tea or something. And um, and, and I, you know, just to sit, put it bluntly, I was a little annoyed. I was like, what? Because they, they had to know we were there. This person had to have stepped over several of us to get to the kitchen. And yet they were just, you know, just having a great old time with God in there while the rest of us listened on. And, and as I listened there to her having her quiet time, and I confess thinking some rather uncharitable thoughts, uh, I, I, I thought about this verse. I thought, you know, a loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. How true that is. Because that's what I'm feeling right now. But I love verses like this because it reminds us of the practical nature of love. That love is often found in the common sense, in the mundane, in the little details. And as today, as we conclude this series that we've been doing for the last couple of months on learning to love, I wanna talk about what it means to love in the mundane moments and the common sense ways that that just allow people to actually feel loved by you. And it's, it's in those moments, those little common mundane moments when, you know, maybe how you treat your waitress at the restaurant or how you treat your neighbor who's a bit of a grumpy person or how you treat your spouse when they do that annoying thing that they like to do, or how you how you respond to that acquaintance of yours that posts uh, things online all the time that you totally disagree with, or, or how you uh, treat your colleague at work who can be selfish sometimes. All of these are the, the everyday battleground, the everyday practice ground of learning how to love well. And another way of thinking about this is that, you know, Asking yourself the question, what kind of relationship do you offer? You know, what, what do you like to be around? How would people describe you? Are they energized by being with you? Do they feel loved by you, or do they feel drained by being around you? If people were to spend a, a nine-hour car ride with you, what would the effect on them be? Would, would they be enjoying it and just love it, be a great memory for them, or would they want to like get out at halfway and, and walk the rest of the way? You know, what is your effect on the people right around you? I think this is really where the rubber meets the road in our Christian faith: is how do we love the people that are right in front of us in the everyday moments of our lives? Because if people can't stand being around you, if they find you critical or harsh or uh, cynical or uh, selfish or uh, arrogant, then, then it doesn't matter how great your theology is. If if they're if you're not a, level, a person that makes them feel loved, then, then something is missing from your faith. So I thought as we end this series today that we should talk about what it means to love in those common, everyday, mundane moments. And as I thought about it, I thought, hey, there's so many ways we could go about talking about this, but then I thought there's, there's one common thread that goes through a lot of these different examples and ideas that I had, and it's this. It's considering others considering others. Now this is more than just being considerate, although that's a good place to start. This goes far deeper than that. I think if we actually considered others, like really genuinely considered others more important than ourselves, it would transform the way that we love people. It would transform the way that people experience us. And this comes from what the apostle Paul exhorted us to do in Philippians 2. He writes this in Philippians 2 verse 3. He says, "Do nothing." From selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. See, Paul here is highlighting the one thing that I think stands in the way of us being able to love well. And quite simply it's it's our own selfishness. Selfishness, the more selfish we are, the less we're able to love. Selfishness stands in the way of helping us love well. And we all have this natural instinct. Because of the fall, we're all very selfish creatures individually. You know, we, when we're born, we're, we're helpless infants, and we, all we're focused on is getting our needs met. And we cry whenever we don't get our needs met. And hope, and, but as we get older and as we mature, we learn how to hopefully help meet other people's needs. And what Paul is saying here is that as a follower of Jesus... We can't just uh, that 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 our primary mode of living, the primary attitude we're to take, is to consider others as more important than ourselves. And this couldn't be more countercultural than than uh, than what you know. This idea is so countercultural. We've grown, you know, as we've grown increasingly individualistic, as we've grown increasingly prosperous and isolated. The main goal that most of us live with is is our own joy, our own satisfaction, our own happiness, and and so. Everything is about my rights, my, you know, uh, my uh, gra- you know, gratifying my own wishes and desires and wants and preferences. And when those things aren't happening, when those things are thwarted in some way, man, we lash out in outrage. And I just wonder if a lot of the outrage we see in our culture today, a lot of the polarization we see in our culture is a result of this sort of narcissistic, uh, focus on us and getting our needs met. And just because we've lost sense of community in our lives and our need for other people and, and just serving one another and loving one another and learning how to consider one another. So we have to recognize that in our culture, we've been discipled and trained and formed by culture that focuses on, on that trains us to think in terms of what is going to give me the most happiness, what is going to give me the things that I want, rather than how can I consider other people more important than myself. This is a huge paradigm shift. But that's what Paul is telling us that disciples of Jesus do. They consider others as more important than themselves. Then Paul continues, and he explains why. Why do we do this? Why should we consider other people as more important than ourselves? says this. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. There it is again. Almost every week in the series, we say this, that, that as God has done for you, so you do for others. That is the, the model of New Testament Christianity, that the way God loves us, we love others. As the Lord forgives, you forgive others. As the Lord uh, uh, has, has sacrificed himself for you, you sacrifice yourself for others. All of this here, we have this attitude in ourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bond servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. See, Jesus was the ultimate example of considering others as more important than yourself. He left the the glory of heaven and came to earth and endured unimaginable uh, discomfort and suffering and, and ultimately died on a cross so that we could be redeemed and reconciled to God. Jesus is our model. He's the ultimate example of what this looks like. And now Paul is saying, as Jesus has done for you, now go and do likewise. So as disciples of Jesus, this is what we're to do. We're to consider others as more important than ourselves. And that means, you know, forsaking our desire to get and choosing instead to give. It means laying down our rights. It means forsaking our desire for equality. (laughs) I mean, could there be anything more countercultural or more offensive to our modern sensibilities? But this is what Jesus did for us. He, he laid down his rights and his comfort and his short-term peace and joy in order to rescue us, and so we are to do the same. Now, when we hear about Jesus doing this, I mean, we're using the ultimate example of him coming and he's dying on a cross for us, and so we think, okay, well, well if I'm going to consider others more important than myself, you know, maybe I, I need to become a missionary and go live on the other side of the world, or maybe I need to like, you know, give an organ to somebody who needs it, or something really dramatic and big. And you might have those moments in your life where there's those big, dramatic moments where you make that choice. But most of loving is found in the ordinary. It's found in the way you treat your flatmates. It's found in the way you treat your spouse. It's found in the way that you love your kids and your neighbor and your colleagues at work. It's found in the everyday moments of our lives. So let's get really practical here. What what does this look like? What, What are common ways of considering others? I mean, there are so many examples, like I said, that we could talk about. But today, I just I want to highlight four different examples. This is not exhaustive, but because we don't want to be here all day, uh, I, and because I don't think I could preach all day, I think we just need to look at four examples today. And the first one is what I'm calling rejoicing and mourning. And this comes out of Romans 12. And if you if you want to know how to love well, if you want to know what the life of the church is supposed to look like, if you want to uh, really figure out what you know, what are practical ways that I actually love other people? Go study Romans 12. It's a fantastic chapter. It gives a really great picture of what it means to love one another and how the church should operate. But verse 15 has this short little thought. He says, "This rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn." Now that might not sound like that difficult of a a concept. Like, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to rejoice with people who are rejoicing. Sometimes it might be easy for us or natural for us to mourn with those who mourn. But I actually think this is one of the hardest things that we can do sometimes. Choosing to, for example, celebrate with others when they've been given the one thing that you're wanting, the thing that you've been believing for, praying for, hoping for, wishing for, and somebody else gets it, can you rejoice with them in that situation? You know, can you rejoice when someone, you're you're longing for a promotion, you're working really hard, you think you're gonna get it, and then it goes to somebody else who, in your opinion, may not deserve it as much as you. Can you rejoice with them anyway? Or, or what about somebody who's who's got married or just is about to get married or something, can you celebrate with them even if you haven't found that special someone that you've been longing for for year after year and no hope on the horizon? Can, can you still celebrate with that couple that is getting married? Or, or what about if somebody gets supernaturally healed or gets this supernatural touch from God? Can you, and, and, and it's the kind of thing that you're longing for, but, but you haven't had that. Can you rejoice and celebrate with that person? Or just to touch on a really sensitive topic, you know, next week is Mother's Day. And for many women, Mother's Day is one of the most painful days of the year because they long to be mothers, but for one reason or another, it hasn't happened yet. And I can't even imagine or fathom that kind of pain. But but if if that's you, if you're in that place, can you choose for even just a couple hours on that day to, to set aside your legitimate grief and disappointment and sorrow in order to celebrate and honor the mothers that are in your life? I mean, I know that's painful, and that's the point here. All, rejoicing with those who rejoice is often a, a, a choice to step through the pain that you are having. That's the, the barrier that keeps you from loving because it, it's this barrier that, that that pain just keeps you in your own um, self-pity, and your own remorse, and it may be very, very legitimate, but, but loving well, considering others is more important than yourself, says, hey, I'm going to set that stuff aside right now, and I'm going to rejoice with those rejoice. But now let me balance this because Paul balances this, which I'm really thankful for. And he says, mourn with those who mourn. He's saying, enter into people, into people's grief, into their sorrow. And so let's use this mothering example. You know, we need to be able to enter into the pain of those who have been unable to have kids that really want to have kids. We need to be able to, to grieve and mourn with them. And not dance around the topic, not ignore it, not, not pretend like it's not there, but actually enter into their pain and their grief and their sorrow. Or maybe, you know, enter into the, the sorrow of a, of a spouse who's, or a, a, somebody who's just lost their spouse. Or maybe entering into the grief and the mourning of the person who's involuntarily uh, single you know, these are all ways that, that people experience real loss, real disappointment, real grief. And, and we need to be willing to mourn with those who mourn. In our culture, we don't like to talk about pain or disappointment. In Christian culture, we just like to talk about victory and breakthrough. But, but we all know there are those moments where you know it hasn't happened. And, and it's okay to acknowledge it hasn't happened. We don't have to put on a happy face. And as a church, we've got to be able to mourn with those who mourn and not just celebrate the the good things, but actually enter into that mourning process. And a lot of times we don't want to do this because we don't know what to say. We don't know, you know, it's awkward. Like, how do you actually mourn with somebody who mourns? But actually, I I think most of the time you don't need to say much at all. I think the gift of your presence is enough. The uh, the Jewish community has a really great uh, uh, custom that when uh, somebody dies, they... um, the, the, the custom is that the community will go to the house that has been, that's experienced the bereavement. And when they go there, the, the custom is you go in and, and maybe you're bringing food or something like that, but you just go and you sit with the family. But you don't say anything unless they talk to you. And they may just be there weeping. They may be there silent. They may be back in the room, but you just come and you offer the gift of your presence. And you stay silent. You remember in the book of Job, when Job experienced all that loss and his three friends came to comfort him? They actually started off really well. They just sat with him for seven days, I think it was, and they didn't say anything. And if that's all they would have done, they would have come off, well, unfortunately, they opened their mouths. That was, maybe it's a good example for us of how we maybe should not go about comforting people is we get in trouble when we open our mouths. But that's what I'm saying is just simply offering your presence, offering your tears, being willing to enter into somebody's pain, offering your prayers for them, that is a way that we can consider others more important than ourselves. So, one of the, the, the second way that I was thinking about is selfless conversations. Selfless conversations. I think one of the clearest ways that we can love people is the way that we conduct ourselves in conversation. You know, both the way that we talk and the way that we listen. You know Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. And I think conversations actually reveal a lot about the state of your heart. <laughs> they, they They show whether or not you're you're just consumed with self or whether you're actually interested in other people. They show whether you're checked out <laughs> or whether you're engaged. They show, that uh, whether you're uh, you know, willing to actually, you're curious about them, or whether you're just, you can't be bothered. Our conversations and the way we conduct conversations shows so much about how we love people. It can make them feel loved, or it can really hurt them. But I, I think we got to be really intentional with how we talk to people, how we engage in conversation. Something as simple and as everyday and as mundane as conversations is one of the, I think, key ways that we consider others more important than ourselves. So, for example, if you're somebody that likes to talk a lot, and I'm one of those people, you got to be aware of that and not dominate the conversation. You've got to be, you got to be, you, gotta, you know, instead of, you know, always having to state your opinion, instead of always having to, you know, correct somebody when they're wrong uh, or, 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 uh, or interrupt or just simply talk a lot, one of the best things you can do is, is learn to not dominate the conversation. Because you might think what you're saying is fascinating and intriguing, but, but, but it's not. You know, conversations are like a tennis match. <laughs> Oftentimes, that's the case. <laughs> you got, you, you've been in those situations where somebody is talking and talking and talking, and, and they might feel like, hey, I'm really loving this person by engaging with them, but you're just feeling trapped. You're like, how do I get out of this conversation? Can somebody please rescue me? You know, we've all had those types of situations, Conversations are like a tennis match, you know? You just kind of hit the ball back and forth. And if, if there's not a give and take in the conversation, you're not having a conversation, you're monologuing. So we have to be aware that, that conversations, when, you, when you're monologuing, people usually aren't really interested in what you have. They'll switch off after a few minutes. They're not really tracking with you anymore. And one of the best ways that you can avoid doing this is by learning how to ask questions. Just simply asking questions and finding out, you know, what what is going on in that person's world, um, you know, get curious. A- every person you meet is a wealth of experience and wisdom that's just waiting to be mined. I was uh, I remember reading a story once about a woman who was frustrated with her husband because whenever they would go to dinner parties, he wouldn't say very much. He would just ask questions and then just kind of listen to people, other people talk. And she, she got kind of frustrated at him, because she she's like, you're brilliant. You're an amazing guy. You have lots of great things to say. Why do you never say anything? I know you have opinions on some of these things. And he said to her, well, I already know what I know. I already know what I think. I want to hear what these people know. I want to th- learn from them by hearing what they think. I, I-, I-, I already am aware of, you know, I have my own experiences but all of these people they have different education different experience different wisdom and i can learn from this is my opportunity to glean from them and that always stuck with me because i just thought man what what a what a great perspective there's so much wisdom in that there's so much uh, humility in that and i think you know so many of us, we, the, the, we're carrying around these dilemmas or burdens and we're, we're praying about it and we're asking God for wisdom and we're saying, God, could you answer this? I've got this problem that I'm facing. I don't know what to do about it. And, and what if God has hidden the answers in the people around you? What if the, the answer that God wants to give you isn't going to come through some sort of supernatural revelation as you're reading the Bible or praying? What if it's going to come through your willingness to go and ask other people for their input. What if the, the, the answer is hidden out there? But the question is are you hungry enough and are you humble enough to go ask, to go seek? I think a lot of the answers to our prayers, a lot of the wisdom God wants to give us, is hidden in the community all around us. This week I was listening to a story of a guy who was describing a hunting trip he was on. He was out with a couple of his buddies. Uh, that he regularly hunts with, but they brought along an extra guy that they don't normally hunt with, and they were on a five-day hunting trip, and he said this guy did not ask one question, not one question the whole time, not, not like, you know, hey, what's your wife's name, or how many kids do you have, or what do you do for work? He, he didn't ask one question, and it wasn't because he was shy, because you could tell that he was eager for you to ask him about his life so that he could talk about himself. He was just consumed with himself, so much that he didn't even think to ask a question. And, and it's such a shame. It's such a missed opportunity because the guy that was telling the story, I mean, is an amazing individual. Like, I would have loved to be on that hunting trip, and I'm not a hunter, just to get time with these guys because there's so much wisdom and, and experience that I could learn from. So asking questions and gleaning from other people is one of the ways that we put other people, consider them more important than ourselves. And for those of you who are shy and you know, kind of you know, introverted or have a hard time with conversations, this is a great tool. Just simply asking somebody a question. If you don't know what to say or if you don't really want to talk much, just get them talking. And if, they have, if, you're, if you don't know what to ask, just listen to whats they're interested in or what they're talking about and just ask them, we'll, we'll say more about that. What do you like about that? What's hard about that? What you know, questions along those lines, or, or you can ask them for your input. You know, maybe you're stuck in something, whether it's like I don't know, a home improvement question, or a spiritual question, or a parenting question, whatever, and say, hey, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I want to do, I want to put, you know, renovate my, uh, my conservatory or something, and, and what do you think about that? And get their input. These are just simple ways that you can, can actually value and love the people that are right in front of you. Thirdly, I think we need to develop what I'm calling others' awareness, others' awareness. This is about anticipating what people are needing or what they might need or what they might not need from you. So in the example that I started with, this dear woman from Indonesia, I don't, I mean... I want to believe the best that she was just praying and interceding for us. And you know, probably God used that to, to uh, empower and bless our mission trip. But, but I kind of wonder if maybe she could have had some others' awareness and maybe adapted her normal prayer and worship routine uh, and maybe done it a little bit more quietly or just kind of under her breath, out of respect for her sleeping guests. I know I would have been blessed by that that morning. I remember hearing a story about a a guy who took his heavily pregnant wife to go visit his boss uh, and his family for dinner one evening. And and the moment his boss opened the door and saw that his wife was heavily pregnant, he he invited her to come in and, and he took her to the most comfortable chair and he brought her a foot rest and he offered her a pillow for her back and he brought her a glass of water to drink and a fan because it was a hot day. And he just did everything he could to make her comfortable. And the husband was so convicted because he realized... I haven't been doing any of that. <laughs> and this is my wife like this. He's only met her for the first time, and yet look at the way that he's caring for her. Look at the way that he's anticipating her needs. He was being others aware. He's aware of, of the, uh, the, the difficulty of being, you know, l- late term pregnancy. I mean, anywhere in pregnancy looks difficult to me, but, they, they, uh, but he was aware of, of what she needed, and he saw to her needs. I mean, really, this is just about practicing hospitality hospitality is just anticipating the needs of your guests before they do, and and seeking to meet them with whatever resources you have. And hospitality, it is one of our, uh, I think, our best tools to demonstrate the love of Jesus to other people. I think it's one of the best tools that we have for evangelism, and I'm going to say more about that at another time, but I think this is what it's all about, is that others' awareness so, you know, maybe you're here at church one day and you see somebody come in and you've never seen them before and they're looking sort of unsure of themselves. Others awareness might mean you just go over there, introduce yourself, see if they need directions, see if they're needing help with something, start a conversation with them. You know, it's it scary to walk into a church full of people you don't know. Just making them feel at home, getting them a cup of coffee, anything like that 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 would make them feel settled is a way that we practice others' awareness. I also think it's about being perceptive to, what, to where other people are at. You know, if, if you see somebody that's in a hurry, that's walking quickly, maybe that's not the best time to pull them aside and regale them with a five-minute anecdote that you think is hilarious. If you see a parent that's like got two kids and, or a kid in each arm and they're trying to get out the door, maybe that's not the time to, to uh, ask them for that thing, that favor that you're wanting. Maybe you just need to choose a better time for that. Or maybe if you see that somebody's totally exhausted, maybe that's not the best time to bring up that issue that you have with them and try to work through those, uh, the, that, that conflict that you might be having. Maybe you just need to get, let them be a little more rested. Just being aware of where they're at. <laughs> I, I heard a speaker talking about this recently, and he was saying that, that um, the type that he does men's retreats a lot, and he was saying that he routinely gets people that come up to him right before he's about to go up on stage and say, hey, do you have a minute? And he's like, Can you not see? I mean, the music's playing, the lights have been dimmed, I'm about to step on the stage. And and really what they're asking is, hey, can can you can I share with you my deep heartache, my deep wounds and struggles, and and can you give me an answer? And (laughs) it's such an unrealistic expectation. And he said that in one case, he said to the guy, You know what? I have one minute exactly. And the guy was like, Oh, well, actually, I kind of need an hour, you know. But that's the kind of thing where he just wasn't aware of the situation. And so often, we all do this. We can be oblivious sometimes to, to what's happening. We're, we've got our agenda, and we're not aware that other people may not you know, fit within our agenda. And that's why learning how to practice this, making, making a, a discipline of just studying other people, observing their body language, observing what's going on in their lives, these are really practical ways that we consider others more important than ourselves. The last example I want to talk about is... Self-awareness. Now, that can seem kind of contradictory because we're talking about being others-aware, we're talking about loving others as more important than yourself, but, but considering others, if we're going to consider others more important than ourselves, self-awareness is a key part of that. So let me give you an example. Uh, have you ever been in a close conversation with somebody that has bad breath? <laughs> I mean, they may, and, and usually the person with bad breath isn't aware that they have bad breath, but that's all you're aware of. You're, they're talking to you, and it seems like they're talking extra breathy, you know? And you're just thinking, you're not even listening to what they're saying. You're just thinking, dude, get a mint. And, and you're not really able to receive whatever that conversation is. Or how about the person that thinks they're an amazing singer, but Nobody has been willing to tell them or they've not been willing to listen to the fact that they're not an amazing singer. I mean, this is what like, you know, talent shows, those cringe-worthy moments on X Factor and all that, you know, this is the stuff that made it famous. It's these guys that think they're amazing singers, but they 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 just they're not self-aware that maybe their voice isn't quite recording quality, to put it mildly. <laughs> Self-important it's, or self- this is these people, they just lack self-awareness. And this is why it's so important. Because we all have blind spots. Now, having blind spots does not make you a bad person. It just makes you a person. Every single one of us, we have blind spots. And by their very nature, we can't see them. You can look for them. And occasionally, the Lord might point one out to you. But you're not going to be able to see or identify your own blind spots. And Jesus said, hey, uh, before trying to remove the splinter from somebody else's eye, get the log out of your own eye. And I think one of the, the, the ways that we do that is just simply being self-aware by, by uh, identifying our blind spots, our strengths, and our weaknesses, and the way that can impact and affect other people. I mean, you might think, well, God, God will, will point out my blind spots. <laughs> you know, if I just pray, if I just seek the Lord, it's just me and the Lord, He'll tell me anything that needs to change. But let me tell you one of God's favorite ways to point out your blind spots, Other people. And often it's, it's uninvited uh, input and feedback that they, they'll come and they'll give you whether you wa- wanted them to or not. But the question is, are you hungry enough? Are you humble enough? Are you teachable enough to receive it? But I think one of the best things we can do is invite that feedback ourselves. Now, this is like a really brave thing. And, and, and I just want to say, one of, I think one of the bravest questions that you can ask somebody is, hey, where are my blind spots? I heard one sermon years ago that I never forgot, and uh, the guy was challenging people to, to do this, and he said, go ask your loved ones, the people that know you well, what's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the other side of me? What am I missing? And you may get surprising feedback. It may be positive. It may not be so positive. But, but what would you rather do? Would you rather like go around inflicting your proverbial bad breath on other people, or would you rather them tell you, hey, dude, you've got bad breath that you need to deal with. Here's a mint. <laughs> I remember one time I had a, like, uh, I'd, I'd brushed my, I'd got one of those electric toothbrushes and I think I just, you know, this was just too much for me to handle and so I had toothbrush or toothpaste on my face <laughs> and, uh, and I came into work and one of my, the guys that was on staff, he's since moved on, and he, he said, uh, Todd, you've got, like I started in and I, was, I think I had a serious point I was trying to make. He's like, hey, I can't quite take you seriously. You've got toothpaste all over your face. And I was like, okay, okay. So I did the lick your finger thing and tried to wipe it off. And he's like, no, it's still there. So I'm like working harder. And he's like, yeah, maybe you should just go to the bathroom and, uh, and sort that out yourself. <laughs> so, but I'm so glad that he loved me enough to tell me this rather than letting me kind of look stupid the whole morning. I, I, and often, you know, when I just want to say if you're on the other side of this, My question is, when you see somebody that has the proverbial bad breath or the toothpaste on their face, and and they've got a habit that's like undermining their ability to love well, and it's undermining their relationships, it's hurting you, maybe hurting others, maybe hurting themselves, we tend to hold back because we're like, oh no, I'm not going there. (laughs) That could be an awkward conversation, and it might. It might be. But do you love them enough to be willing to tell them about this thing. That's what it means for us to to consider others. That's one of the ways that we consider others as more important than ourselves. We step out of our comfort zone, out of our natural tendency to want to avoid conflict, and step into the awkward place to point out that lack of self-awareness in their lives. So all of these things, rejoicing and mourning, Selfless conversations, others' awareness, self-awareness, all of these things are ways that we consider other people more important than ourselves. These are just four examples. I mean, there are an infinite number of examples we could cite this morning. I mean, there's, there's so many ways that we could apply this. But, but it's about adapting that, adopting that attitude that Jesus had. As Paul told us to do, he said, adopt that attitude very same attitude that Jesus had of, of considering others more important than themselves, if we can embrace that, then, then we'll find how it works out in each situation. But maybe the best thing you can do today is just ask God this question. God, where is, where can I consider others more important than myself? In fact, let's just do that for a moment. Let's just maybe close your eyes and ask God, Lord, where is it this week that I can consider others more important than myself? What are one or two ways this week that I can consider others as more important than myself? It might be some of the things that I've mentioned. It might be something totally different. There are so many applications for this. But I want to encourage you, if you... I've heard something, maybe tell, tell a friend, get them to hold you accountable. If you haven't sensed something, then stay with that question this week. Keep asking God this question, how can I consider others more important than myself? But I want to conclude today with where we started this series. It nine weeks ago now. <laughs> and it's this thought here that the quality of our relationship with others reveals the quality of your relationship with God. Your ability to love is the best indication of the depth of your faith and your life with God and your character and your love for Jesus. Your love for others is the measure of your faith. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. You know the famous love chapter that we read at weddings all the time? Love is patient, love is kind. Beautiful passage. But right before that, that famous passage that we read at weddings, he, he writes this. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I'd love to have Oswaldo come back up here and just bang on cymbals for a while. It gets pretty irritating if that's all you're hearing. (laughs) And he's talking there, he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about speaking in tongues. He's saying, hey, even if I have all that But I don't love others. It's just a noisy gong. It's a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is the point. So you can, you can talk to me about how powerfully you've encountered God, but if that encounter isn't making you a more loving person, then I think Paul's saying here, I, I question the value of it. It, it. You can talk to me about doctrine and how you've worked really hard to make sure that you're theologically sound and biblical and accurate, but if your doctrine isn't making you more loving, then, then this is saying it really doesn't matter. You could talk to me about how well you care for the poor or your social justice, you know, and how you're involved in all that, and that's that's a great thing. All of these are good things, but but if it's not making you a more loving person, there's no value in it. See, loving others is such an important thing to God. It's It's not an optional extra. Jesus said the two most important things are to love God with all of our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is Central stuff. And I want us to be a church that really genuinely loves people well. It doesn't just have pseudo-community, that, that whether it's people inside the church or outside the church, we actually know how to love people, how to consider them more important than ourselves, how to forgive when we've been hurt and wounded by people, how to apologize and own up and be humble enough to repent when we make mistakes, how to how to resolve conflicts when they emerge, how to love our enemies even when they're not repenting and when they've done things that have hurt us. These are all ways that we demonstrate who Jesus is. This is the mark of being his disciple. And in the end, I think when we stand before the Lord and we're waiting for that well done, good and faithful servant, I think the way he's going to be evaluating us is how well we learn to love. How well we learn to love the people that he surrounded us with. Including that really annoying person that you can't stand, that has lots of issues, we'd all agree. <laughs> he, he's chal- he, he, he's going to ask us how we loved the people that, that, that were in our family, the people that we worked with, the people that, that uh, we lived with, our neighbors, our, our, our friends, all these different people. How did we learn to love? So, my challenge to you as we close this series is to be constantly evaluating this question. Am I becoming a more loving person? Do I love more this year than I did last year? Do I care more about the people God surrounded me with? Are they experiencing more kindness, more compassion from me? Because those—that that is the mark of followers of Jesus. Let me pray for you as we close. Dan, if you want to come on up. Father, I thank you that we love because you first loved us. That we're not—it's this is not about willpower. This is about being transformed to become like Jesus. So I pray first of all, for all of my brothers and sisters here this morning or watching online, that you would grant us power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I pray that we would know your love that surpasses knowledge. God, let us know how deeply you love us. Lord, let us be confident in your love for us. God, let that that solidify us and be the foundation through which we love others. God, let the love of God flow through us and and, and wash over us today. Lord, and I pray that, that, that we would become a people of love. Lord, that when people are around us, Lord, they feel valued, they feel cared for, they feel confident in our love for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.